0: Welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Soledago Herb School, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about goldenrod, one of my all-time favorite plants. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I have learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. Goldenrod is a plant that is blooming right now in Maine anyway, and probably in many other places abundantly. It's a very common weed and it fills fields with a beautiful bright yellow glow that brings in the fall season. Because of this bright yellow glow, it really draws the eye. And at the same time, people are starting to maybe feel a little allergic to their their fall pollen allergies. And goldenrod is an easy scapegoat because people feel congested, sneezing, itchy, watery eyes. They see the fields of goldenrod and that must be the culprit. But really, what's really blooming that's not noticeable at all are the ragweed's ambrosia species and the artemisias, the mugworts? Both of these plants have green flowers, very tiny, tiny flower heads that produce a lot of pollen and blow through the air. Goldenrod has sticky pollen that sticks to insects and is insect pollinated. So it's not possible for your pollen allergies to be caused by goldenrod because it's not airborne. Whereas the ambrosia pollen, if you ever look at a photograph of ambrosia pollen um, as taken under a microscope, it looks like a little torture device it has got these hooks and barbs on it. And you can see how that it would easily irritate our very sensitive mucous membranes, especially mucous membranes that are highly sensitive or overreactive in the case of allergies. They have to have these barbs and hooks because the air blows them and they have to grab on to the next ambrosia plant so that it can produce seeds. Goldenrod puts a lot of energy into making really bright beautiful yellow flowers so that it will attract the bees. And when plants are wind pollinated, they don't need to put all that energy. It takes a lot of energy to energy to dress up for the pollinators. And if you don't have to do it, you're not going to do it if you're a plant. So, let's not blame poor goldenrod for our allergies. And look around and you will begin to notice the ambrosias and the artemisias that are also blooming right now, but are very hidden and nondescript flowers. There are so many different species of goldenrod. Just about all of them are native to North America. There are I've read anywhere from 60 to 100 species of goldenrod, and I've heard that there are even some botanists that have a hard time differentiating between some species of goldenrod. There are, in Maine alone, there are 19 species that are native to Maine itself. A couple of the more common ones are Adora, or Odora, which is basically means strong in odor and flavor and it tends to be a sweeter and tastier goldenrod then there's the canadensis species which basically means that it was first discovered in canada usually and named because of that but it grows abundantly in maine as well and probably in many other places in north america and this Species is the one that is probably most often talked about and uh, incorporated into medicine. There is also in where I live on the ocean on the coast. There's a seaside goldenrod that is called uh, the species is sempervirens, which is a species name that means always living and vigorous evergreen. I'm not sure that this species is evergreen throughout a main winter but the leaves are very succulent and contain a lot of moisture they grow right on the gravelly beaches and if you taste a leaf it has tastes very salty succulent i have um, tried to dry them and it just doesn't really work out because they're so full of moisture and ocean water. So that one, I would say, is not necessarily helpful medicinally. It could be just a tasty beach snack. But most other species of goldenrod could be used interchangeably uh, medicinally. And I'm sure there are variations, like I was saying, you know, one's going to be more Like the canadensis is probably going to be more bitter and tannic and the odora is going to be a little bit sweeter and have a little bit more volatile oils to it. So go out and look at your goldenrods and see if you can differentiate between them. See how many you can discover even in one field. I know in my backyard, I have at least two if not three or more species of goldenrod growing and some of them bloom at different times and have generally different shapes to them. There is uh, an herb that some people consider to be a look-alike and that is plants in the Senecio genus. So you could also look for those plants while you are looking at your goldenrods. They are commonly known as groundsels and ragworts; those i you know i think once you really get to know the plants they don't really look much alike but if you're just starting out they're both goldenrods and the sinichios are plants that have small yellow flowers the sinichios are toxic and poisonous and are not taken internally by uh, not eaten by livestock and definitely and not used medicinally by humans. They contain large amounts of very um, potent, toxic pyrrolizidine alkaloids. If you want to learn more about the py- pyrolizidine alkaloids, you can listen to the Comfrey episode of this podcast that I did two weeks ago. And there are numerous pyrolizidine alkaloids. And the ones found in Senecio tend to be more dangerous than the ones found in Comfrey. The botanical name of goldenrods, other than their species names, but the genus name, the whole group of goldenrods, are called Solidago, And that is what I named my herb school after. And there are multiple reasons why I named it that, and I will talk about that at the end of this podcast. Solidago means in Latin to make whole. Solido, to make whole or strengthen. Solidago virgoria, sorry for that pronunciation, but that is a species, the only species that is native to Europe and Eurasia, China as well. So it's V-I-R-G-A-U-R-E-A. Common name is wound wart. And it's really mostly known for treating all kinds of wounds, ulcers, sores. It's an astringent, especially in the throat and the mouth. So, this is the one species that you'll find across Europe and through Central Asia and in China. There is, there are a couple interesting stories that I'd like to tell you about this one species of Solidago. And I found these stories in the book A City Herbal by Maida Silverman. And this is a lovely book. If you haven't found it, uh, yet I highly recommend it. She says, Lore, legend, and uses of common weeds, and they're weeds that you would find in urban places, especially in North America. Oh, And she has a lot of great lore, which is great, and legends and history of all the herbs that she talks about. So that's one thing that I really love about this book, because it's something that I always find very interesting. So in this book, she talks about this European variety of woundwort. And she says that during the Elizabethan times, which were uh, 1558 to like 1609, woundwort was in great demand. And large quantities of this herb were imported from North America at the time. And it was highly sought after and seen as a really important herb. And then in the early 1600s, they discovered this one species growing in England. And then it became seen as a common plant. And Londoners, who had been great users of goldenrod, she says, quickly lost interest in it. And she quoted John Gerard Gerard, saying that this made an unpleasant impression for him. And he says, this is an excellent example of humanity's fecklessness and inconstancy. A thing is only held valuable if it is rare and strange. And I think that this is a really interesting point. And it's, it's interesting because it still rings true today in human, definitely in American herbalism culture, I would say, in that the mundane common herbs that grow all around us like goldenrod or dandelion, these herbs tend to be much maligned and even poisoned and disregarded. However, herbs that we import from afar that ha- that are grown and seen as coming from you know ayurvedic culture or chinese herbalism or maca for instance from peru you know these plants these trendy plants have high value and are highly sought after and people pay a lot of money and put a lot of clout behind but really i think that we really need to just focus on the common weeds that grow all around us because they are so beneficial. And they're just screaming at us saying, We're here to help you. Like, we are here. We are abundant. Please connect with us. Relate with us. Let's help each other. That's what I believe. So, the goldenrod's a great example of that, which is one reason why I named Solidago Herb School after it. And then Maida Silverman also relays a great story that is from China and the China, Chinese story in relationship to this plant. There's a legend about how it was about how goldenrods use was discovered in China. And it goes like this. Long ago, a man named Chinu was in the forest cutting down a tea plant. He saw a large snake and, because he was frightened, shot it with his bow and arrow. Returning to the spot the next day, he was startled to hear the rhythmic thumping of what sounded like a mortar and pestle. Chinu went looking for the source of the noise and eventually found himself in a hazel thicket where several young men, dressed in green tunics, were busy crushing goldenrod plants with a huge mortar and pestle. He asked them why they were so engaged and they replied that their master had been injured by an arrow and they were preparing medicine that would heal him. They explained the medicinal virtues of goldenrod to Chi Nu, and he, in turn, taught it to humanity. Goldenrod has... A really significant role in American history as well after and especially the odora species the really nice tasting species that makes a really nice tea and after the Boston Tea Party in 1773 the Patriots really were looking for tea to replace all of the Asian Style tea that they threw into the harbor, the tea plants. And they were able to replace it with goldenrod. And if you ever drink goldenrod tea, it definitely tastes very similar to actually the tea plant, black tea. It has a lot of tannins in it and is very astringent, just like black tea is. It doesn't have the caffeine. But the taste is very similar. So they were able to drink that instead. And it became a favorite beverage of the time and was dubbed Liberty Tea. And it was so enjoyed that during the 1800s, it was exported from North America to China because it was considered one of the best tasting American tea herbs And probably, I would assume, and this is just a guess, because it was already a part of Chinese culture, the goldenrod, but maybe this species tasted better, or maybe it was just more sought after because it came from afar and was exotic. I don't know, but interesting that it became an export, and I wonder, it makes me wonder why it has stopped, or I assume it stopped being an export, I'm not sure years ago goldenrod was a common practical joke that was used it was turned into a powder they would powder the goldenrod flowers and make people sneeze with them so i mean any powder would do this but they would just take the goldenrod powder and you know make people smell it or throw it in their face or something and it would make them sneeze and everyone would laugh and supposedly. And there's a thought that maybe this is one reason why goldenrod has had such a cultural belief around it causing allergies and sneezing. If you look at the goldenrod, there's a, the goldenrod canadensis, I believe is the only species of goldenrod that does this, but you'll often see these round swellings in the stem or what's called galls in the stem and these are caused by insects that lay their eggs in the stem and it's basically you know it's a stem and then like a bubble of the stem and then it goes back to the stem and the eggs are laid and then I believe that there is like a little grub that lives in there until it's ready to emerge and apparently, these galls were prized by New Englanders back in the day. Not sure exactly. Again, this is from Maida Silverman's book. But they were prized by New Englanders who called them buds. And it was believed that if a person carried them, the buds, these buds or the galls, on their body, that they would ward off rheumatism for as long as the little grub Stayed alive inside the gall. Very interesting, I think. I mean, I think that's. I can't honestly imagine carrying around a little gall that has a living grub in it, but apparently it was a thing at one point. Goldenrod stalks have also been used as divining rods and have a reputation for helping to locate lost or hidden treasure. Goldenrod is hung above a door to protect and bless all those who come in and out. So this is, you find this with a lot of herbs, which I think is just really lovely. But I like this idea. And so if you decide that you, after listening to this podcast, or if you already do this, if you dry your goldenrod for tea, then maybe hang a little bunch of it above the door and help to protect and bless all those pass-through goldenrod is warming and drying in nature and it has some common actions one is that it is astringent which like i was saying has those tannins Um, just similar to black tea, and makes you pucker a little bit when you drink it. But that's really what is helpful for tightening the mucous membranes. And um, also, you know, as we go through the different body systems that it can benefit, you can see how much the astringency is part of its medicine. It's also anti-inflammatory, which, as I think most of us realize, inflammation is a huge cause and driver of a lot of chronic health conditions in the United States. Goldenrod is a diuretic and also a diaphoretic. And you'll see in with herbs that it's very common that if an herb is a diuretic, it is often also a diaphoretic. Diuretic means that it helps the kidney to kidneys and bladder to process fluid and it, they often make you pee a lot and then the diaphoretics mm, tend to make you sweat and help to drive um, circulation to the extremities and to the skin and help to open the pores and release um, heat from the body. Goldenrod's also an antiseptic And it does have some volatile oils to it, so it's going to have some antimicrobial properties also that tend toward antifungal, mostly, I would say. Also very well known as a vulnerary, which means helps to heal wounds and skin abrasions and issues. And again, this is why one of its common names is woundwort. It's also thought that this is why its genus is Solidago to make whole, because it is known to make your skin whole again and to bring wounds together again. It has some bitter resin to it, so it does have that slight bitter taste. It has those tannins. It also has a little bit of um, some mucilaginous Consistency to it as well, which is probably part of the anti-inflammatory aspect. It's really nice, and you'll see this also a lot with herbs: is that you'll have astringency and mucilaginous in one herb, the tannins and the mucilaginous in one herb, in one herb, which have opposite effects on the body which is why herbs can be so modulating and the body can, you know, work with what it needs more. But also those two characteristics of the herb can also help counteract each other. So an herb won't be as drying as it could be because it also has some mucilage. Although I would say that goldenrod is much more drying than it is mucilaginous and I have found that if I am consuming a lot of it all at once, then it can sometimes be too drying and I have to back off from it. Drying to mucous membranes specifically, which is one of its medicinal actions, but we'll get into that in a moment. The diaphoretic action, the the ability to help make us sweat also tends to be an action that helps um, to break fevers, or to reduce fevers, because it helps the body cool by sweating. Goldenrod has, I think, one of its best-known body affinities is the urinary system. It is considered to be both a bladder and a kidney tonic. And as I said, it's a diuretic. It actually is thought to increase the production of urine. So this, for some people, um, might not be, might be contraindicated. You know, it's funny because you'll see some herbs that have affinities for some body systems, like the urinary system specifically. But if there are some really chronic or really debilitated system, you know, people that have really debilitated urinary systems or very, very weak systems, then sometimes these herbs might be a little too pushy and there might be a better herb, maybe nettle would be more nourishing, where I feel like goldenrod's a little pushier, but still a tonic. But it's because it increases this and because it's a diuretic, it's not a tea that you want to drink close to bedtime unless you want to wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. Because it's a anti-inflammatory, it can relieve inflammation, especially in the urinary system. So cystitis, urethritis, any sort of inflammation in the urinary system. Also, because it has these antiseptic properties, it's thought that the volatile oils, again, the microbe-killing aspect immune system of the plant, um, is... Eliminate, eliminated from our body through our urinary system and so it can come those volatile oils can come into contact with any infectious microbes that are in our urinary system and help to kill them so if there's like a uh, chronic UTIs one herb to think of would definitely be goldenrod I mentioned it had some bitter resin to it, and so we know that any herb that has a bitter flavor to it is going to aid in digestion. And because it has this astringent nature to it, it is also a tonic to our bowels and our intestines because it can tighten and tone mucous membranes, which our whole digestive tract from start to end is one uh, mucous membrane. It's a very effective remedy um, against diarrhea, and it can ease nausea and stomach upset. It also is a carminative, which means it can release gas from the intestines. And again, a lot of herbs that have these volatile oils have that action. So it's considered an aromatic digestive It could be a really nice addition to a digestive bitter blend or just to have on hand as a simple to aid in digestion and to have maybe even in a cordial, a goldenrod cordial with a little honey and a tincture uh, to have before or after a meal. Goldenrod also supports our immune system. And it's really, I've seen it talked about, and I like to think of it as a fall tonic. So, you know, it's in its vibrancy right now. It's the beginning of fall, the very, some people consider it the end of summer. And it's an herb that you can make remedies with now. And, it, and then in a few weeks, four to six weeks, you'll have this beautiful fall tonic that will help support your body, as we change seasons and move into the winter. And it does support our immune system. As I said, it is antiseptic, specifically antifungal and antiseptic for our urinary tract. It has saponins in it, which are considered possibly why it is so antifungal and is especially effective against yeast, yeast infections, vaginal and thrush in the mouth, also could be beneficial for people who have cold sores and sore throats, so that astringent and antiseptic can really help with both of those, and anti-inflammatory. And even if you have a cold, or you feel cold coming on. Goldenrod could be a nice adjunct herb. I wouldn't solely rely on it. I would definitely also work with some yarrow or bee balm or other herbs that we have talked about in this podcast. But goldenrod's a nice one to have on hand, especially if you have a lot of mucus congestion, which is when I reach for my goldenrod, and I usually reach for it as a tea. I dry goldenrod to have as a tea and then anytime and it often happens at the change of the seasons like as we move into winter if I get really congested in my sinuses or I have like a chronically running nose that just won't quit um, <clears throat> or a stopped up nose then I will make myself a quart of goldenrod tea and not in not a nourishing infusion but at a tea strength so a tablespoon of the dried herb per cup of water and that's of the dried herb that I've dried so it's kind of loose and bulky but if it was cut and sifted that you buy from a herbal distributor then a teaspoon might be equal or as effective per cup of water usually I just put a handful in a in a teapot I don't really <laughs> measure it out so much I like to make a strong tea of it if I'm working against some nasal, nasal issues and use, and I'll drink it throughout the day and then I'll go to sleep and I'll wake up and it'll be gone. Sometimes if I drink too much of that tea, I'll find that my sinuses actually, and my nose feel too dry. So it could be an herb that would be nice to combine with maybe some marshmallow leaf or root or, some sort of herb that has a lot of mucilaginous that would help to moisten the mucous membranes as well because if you dry out your mucous membranes too much in your sinuses, then they're just going to want to produce more mucus to soothe them and it can be counterproductive, I find, and still be irritating. So within moderation with the goldenrod teed. And then not only for our respiratory System not only for our nasal passages, but also for um, any sort of mucus in the bronchial tubes or in the lungs. It's even been known to be effective for people who are dealing with asthma. One of the really great constituents in Goldenrod is quercetin, which is a bioflavonoid and it is yellow in color so I can only assume that it is concentrated in the bright gorgeous yellow flowers of goldenrod and from what I understand quercetin is not very well water soluble definitely not cold water soluble they're only slightly in hot water mostly alcohol and fat soluble so it's quercetin is a natural antihistamine and an antioxidant. So if you're really going to be working with solidago or goldenrod as an antihistamine against seasonal allergies, say, then probably a tincture is going to be your best bet. It So because of this quercetin, it is a wonderful remedy against seasonal allergies and hay fevers, which is quite ironic because so many people think that it causes their seasonal hay fever allergies. Apparently, um, there is some caution that many people talk about if you are allergic to plants in the Asteraceae family, which goldenrod is in the Aster family, which is a huge family, there's a chance that you could be allergic to goldenrod. This is a similar uh, suggestion that people make with chamomile. A lot of people say, well, if you're allergic to plants in the ester family, then you might be allergic to chamomile. So this is one, I guess, if you know, you know, but I would say most people are not allergic to it and it's not necessarily, it's definitely not airborne pollen that you're allergic to. A lot of times, um, you know, I've heard of people who are, you know, say allergic to the ambrosia or the ragweed, that a common remedy for that is to actually tincture the ambrosia in flower. So you're actually getting that pollen in a tincture. And then the following year, leading up to that season, that hay fever season in the fall when the ambrosia is blooming is to take very small amounts of the tincture of the pollen so that you train your immune system. And I've heard it working for people in relieving their hay fever allergies. I have not tried this myself. I don't have hay fever, Um, although if I did, I would definitely be tempted to try this. I've also heard of people doing this with other things that they're allergic to, dust or cat dander, making a little tincture of it and taking it in very small doses. But it's it's similar concept of a homeopathic remedy. However, I have not done this, so I cannot speak to it firsthand. If you've tried it, let me know. Let me know if it works and what you think about it. So back to the fact, if you want to work if you want to extract the quercetin compounds, the antioxidant compounds, also quercetin is an excellent anti-inflammatory and really beneficial for our cardiovascular system, then the tincture is probably the better way to go. Goldenrod if can also be beneficial for people who are dealing with coughs or have difficulty breathing um, in cases of emphysema. So really, if If there's excess mucus or just too much moisture in the mucous membranes, in the lungs, in the sinuses, this could be a great herb to work with. It could also be beneficial as a gargle for any sort of mouth inflammation, any sort of laryngitis or sore throat. It's really beneficial for singers and speakers. People also will even make a sore throat spray with it. You know, you could do, you could probably spray a, a tea if you wanted, or you could spray a tincture that would be, you know, it would last longer. So you basically take a tincture, you might even want to water it down. And I always make my tinctures in 100 proof vodka. Uh, so they're not as intense. But if you do have a tincture that's made with ethanol, which is the r- grain alcohol or a really high proof alcohol, then you definitely want to dilute that tincture, even if it's already diluted with water. The vodka tinctures in 100 proof, you can still dilute it with water if you want, if it irritates your mucous membranes, if you already have like a sensitive throat. But you could try a little throat spray with a tincture or a watered down tincture or even gargling with some tea or you could put a tincture in some a little bit of water and then gargle with that. People also work with the infused oil for earaches and tinnitus. And I think that's mostly putting the ear oil, like rubbing it into the back of the ear where the ear meets the head and maybe putting like a drop in the ear. Um, again, it's going to work similar to the mullen flower, which we talked about four or so episodes back because you have the anti-inflammatory properties you have the antiseptic properties you have the astringent properties all could be really beneficial if you have an ear infection and then also people will work with goldenrod externally as infused oil or you could use the tea externally so Healing for wounds promotes tissue repair, which gives it its name, solidago, Also known to be a styptic, which means it can stop bleeding. And this people would, you could make an herbal powder with it, similar to how people use yarrow, which I talked about um, maybe five or six, seven episodes back, Mm, where you could just take a powder, put it in a, on a wound that's bleeding. However, you have to be careful with that. If the wound is too big, you don't want, sometimes those powders can irritate in the long run, but potentially even a spit poultice with the leaf, uh, applied topically could be, could be beneficial. Also for burns, insect bites, bee stings, you could use the spit, poultice from the leaf, which basically means you take a leaf, you chew it up, and you stick it on a bee sting. Um, I will say anytime that I've been out in the field and I've nibbled on a leaf or a flower and <clears throat> swallowed it, I immediately get like a irritation in my throat, like a little scratchy, itchy cough in the back of my throat. So if you do chew it up, you don't want to like swallow it. And that's why I think it's best. You know, I I've, I've heard of people cooking the leaves to eat them, but I wouldn't necessarily put them in salads because I find them personally to be a little <clears throat> irritating on the throat. Also, can be used as a wash or a poultice topically for pain relief, especially for pain at nerve endings and for conditions like sciatica and rheumatism. And that could also be really nice as the infused oil, and it could be a massage oil, the goldenrod, and that would be both with the flowers and the leaves. I think a lot of the medicine of goldenrod is really in the flower because of that yellow quercetin having so much benefit. Again, that quercetin plus other constituents make goldenrod an excellent antioxidant herb, which means it protects cells against free radical damage and aging. And the Canadian goldenrod, the solidago canadensis, is, has been shown to have more antioxidants than green tea. And that... Um, I read that third hand, but uh, the, apparently the source that I read it from quoted that from an herbalist named Robert Rogers, who I am not sure who that is, but something to look into if that is a curiosity of yours. And maybe that's why the Chinese really wanted to import goldenrod. Maybe they sensed that it had even more antioxidants than green tea itself. It also contains rutin, which is another antioxidant and that is specifically known to help improve cardiovascular and cerebrovascular health. Uh, it supports circulation and, and increases capillary strength. And this could be in a tea or a tincture. Other benefits is, I've I, you know, it, apparently the root is used medicinally, although I have never worked with it. Although it's such a common weed and a prolific weed that you really wouldn't be doing much damage to any population of goldenrod that I've come in contact with by digging some up and working with the root. Goldenrod spreads both by massive amounts of seeds and also by the root, it can spread underground by the roots as well. Not as prolifically as mint say, but definitely still has a very intense root system for the older plants. It's a perennial. So I've heard of, uh, people with painful toothaches kind of packing some, uh, root that's been, uh, poulticed up and like packing it around and on irritated gums or around toothaches. And goldenrod in general uh, is helpful for people who are experiencing pain and inflammation like gout or rheumatism or arthritis or other joint pains and issues. Also sore muscles externally. So it would be a great massage oil if you're a massage therapist and are looking to work with some herbal-infused oils and moving away from essential oils, hopefully, and working more with, like, real herbal oils and natural scent therapy. Goldenrod would be a great one to work with, um, as well as Hypericum or St. John's Wort would also be a great one to work with, which um, was the topic of an episode that I did probably six or seven episodes back check it out and again because of its astringency and its ability to its styptic or ability to stop bleeding uh, it's also been known to help stop nosebleeds and um, heavy menses so I think the heavy menses a tea or a tincture could be worked with to see how that works and the nosebleeds I would consider, which is what I do with the yarrow powder, is just using it as a little bit of a snuff to stop a nosebleed. But I haven't tried it um, because I usually just use the yarrow, but something to consider. Although, again, not firsthand knowledge here. So I'll be right back with talking about how to grow it, how to harvest it. Preparations to make, and why I chose to name uh, my herb school Solidago. Stick with me, and I'll be right back. So as I have alluded to many times, I think throughout this conversation, uh, goldenrod is very abundant plant. And at least where I live, it's just if it's growing in a field, it is it fills the field. Uh, It loves hot, sunny spaces. It can deal with soil that is rocky and gravelly it doesn't necessarily need uh, to have a lot of fertility to survive so it's really easy to harvest this plant and work with it sustainably it's really easy to forage it Um, there are plant you know species of goldenrod that are grown and sold for gardens specifically and I occasionally we'll let it grow if it pops up in a garden or we'll add it to gardens cautiously um but it it makes it is nice you know late summer early fall color and it has some nice height to it usually so it can be pretty in the back of a garden or you know just as some bright yellow color Again, just really make sure you know for sure that the plant you are harvesting is goldenrod and not a plant in the Senecio genus. So until you really know what you're working with, then make sure you are checking with your plant ID books before you harvest. I almost think that the leaf is going to tell you more of a differentiating quality to senecio than necessarily the flower until you really get to know the flower because they both have little aster yellow flowers and because there are so many different species of goldenrod and some look really different from each other. So just really get to know get to know the goldenrod that grows around you and also see if you can get to know any senecio plants that grow around you. It's always good to know if there are poisonous plants in your area. And so that you can identify those because there's usually not a lot of them. So if you can figure out which ones they are and what they look like and where they are, then you are well on your way to sustainable and correct foraging. So to harvest goldenrod, I like to harvest it just as the flowers start to open. If you wait too long then and you hang it to dry, it looks like it's in full bloom, it's all good to go, and you harvest it and you hang it to dry, all of those flowers are going to go right to seed on you and turn into white fluff. I did read one author, I can't remember who it was, say that it's beneficial even if it does go to seed. But again, I don't feel like you're getting all that quercetin, the flavonoids, If you harvest it just as it's starting to open, then it'll continue to open a little bit as it dries, but it's not gonna go to seed on you. And it's a great way to have really beautiful, dried goldenrod flowers. So now is the time, and maybe even it's a little late for some species of goldenrod to harvest, at least where I am. But there are some species that are just starting to bloom so get out there and I like to harvest the top third generally of the plant you can kind of look at the plant and see you want the whole flower head and you want some leaf that and then you know from the top leaves that still look really healthy and then eventually as you look down the stem the leaves kind of get more sparse and they start turning yellow and brown and just don't look as healthy so you want the really healthy leafy top part of the plant and the flowers you can even harvest the stem right down to the ground and you'll see at the base of the plant usually <clears throat> at least the golden rods that grow around me that there is a kind of a basal rosette of leaves at the very base of the plant so you're not gonna kill the plant or harm the plant by harvesting the whole stem but you really for your purposes you just want the top part of the plant and then I like to hang it to dry and then once it's dry once it's crispy dry and it really doesn't take long to dry because there's not a lot of water content and you want to harvest it on a hot sunny day ideally after you know well with well after it's rained so probably more than 24 hours after it's rained ideally or more and then hang it to dry and, or you can spread it out on in a basket or on screens or you could probably even just put it in a brown paper bag and it'll dry It dries really readily. And then once it's dry I strip the leaves and the flowers from the stem. The leaves strip really easy from the stem and sometimes you can just cut the flower heads off and leave them whole and store it Uh, Definitely out of sunlight and you want to hang it to dry away from any sunlight because that's going to deteriorate your antioxidant flavonoid content. You're going to lose all that beautiful yellow color, which is what you really want to maintain and then store it also away from any sunlight. So in a jar, in a cabinet is fine or um, in a brown paper bag, in a plastic Tupperware to keep moths out is fine as well. There are, you can basically work with goldenrod for any preparation, any herbal preparation that's out there. You can work with goldenrod that way. So uh, you could make a syrup with the goldenrod flowers, especially for childhood coughs. Uh, Tea, we've definitely talked about. You could take that tea and add it to a bath. You could make any sort of topical application so infuse it in oil and then use that oil to make creams lotions salves massage oils i think that there are hydrosols out there or if you happen to be one of the lucky people that have these beautiful copper stills then and again goldenrod is so abundant it's a plant that you could actually probably make a hydrosol with because you could harvest enough of the plant to make it worthwhile Uh, we talked about poultices we talked about powders tinctures elixirs where you would take your tincture and add a sweetener to it we talked about throat sprays um, wound washes And again with those wound washes you could make a compress so you would take the tea and soak a rag in it and then apply that rag to any sort of wound or topical pain. You could make a goldenrod infused honey. You could make a goldenrod infused vinegar. You could make a goldenrod infused vinegar honey combination otherwise known as an oxymel and then add a little lemon perhaps if desired and take that by the spoonful in the fall you could have a goldenrod oxymel fall tonic as you move into winter oh or doesn't that sound like it would make like a lovely holiday gift for people a little bit of some late summer joy and sun and beauty moving into the winter season and you could tell people well this could be really beneficial for you if you feel a cold coming on or if you have congestion or sinus congestion or a cough. They could add it to water or tea or just take it by the spoonful. I think I've convinced myself I might have to do that this year. Solidago, goldenrod also is really well known as a dye plant. So it makes a beautiful range of yellow hues if you're into... Plant dyes, which I've never gotten into, but I wish I had the time and energy. Maybe at some point in my life I'd get into that, but I've seen pictures of beautiful fabric that has been dyed with goldenrod. Why I chose the name Solidago for my herb school, and I was hesitant in doing it because it's at that time, and maybe even still, I feel like this herb is coming into more and more popularity, which is awesome. The more Herbalists talk about it. And it, again, it's one of these really common weeds that can be really helpful. Um, but again, Solidago maybe an er, is a name that, or a word that not many people have heard or don't know how to pronounce when they see it. But I just, I just decided to use it anyway. <laughs> My yard is the land that I tend is basically a huge Solidago field well, not huge, but I mean, there's some nice big patches of solidago and on this island that it just is abundant. And I think that, and I mentioned this earlier, but it is really important for today's herbalism that we really focus on the common weeds and the common plants that grow all around us. It's a native to North America. It grows in abundance it's very beneficial for pollinators i love the fact that it spreads readily by seeds on the wind and i hope that the information that i put out there and i think this podcast is a wonderful way of just spreading ideas and herbal information in through the air through the airwaves and through this invisible worldwide web and reaching as many people as possible and planting seeds in all of our minds and inspirations to uh, connect with the plants and improve our health with them. I love how the name itself, the word itself is derived from Latin meaning to make whole. And I really honor and work and have learned within the wise woman tradition and one of my main mentors is and has been Susan Weed and she um, really speaks in the wise woman tradition and speaks a lot about the importance of wholeness and becoming ever more whole like we're already whole but really supporting the wholeness of our being and recognizing it and nourishing it and you know she speaks she says the wise woman tradition nourishes wholeness and that is what i seek to do as well as to nourish wholeness for the people that i come in contact with and the teachings that i present i also really like solidago as um, a representation of what I'm putting out there, because it is an often misunderstood plant. Um, Again, I, you know, often people don't like it, they think that it causes allergies, they see it as a weed, or an, you know, as, I guess you can't really call it invasive if it's native, but it can invade an area, for sure. Um, So and i think herbalism in general can be really misunderstood um as herbalism rises in popularity which it is doing ever ever more and i'm so grateful for that but it's it's really common and really easy for modern day culture which we you know are Generation and the path you know, my generation, so I'm Gen X, my parents' generation, the baby boomers, and then their generation, their parents before that, the children of the Depression. Actually, I don't even know what their generation is called, but my grandfather always said, child of the Depression, you know, born in the early 1900s. That we've been raised so much with the scientific tradition of medicine and the view of the body and working with pharmaceutical drugs, that it's really easy to think that herbs are drugs and that they work like drugs. And it's just not true. Herbs are not drugs and they work very differently in our body. And the more that we can understand that and approach herbs in health as herbs and plants and complex living beings, the better off we'll be. Because the more that we look at herbs um, as drugs and the more that we try to turn herbs into drugs and potentize them and degrade them and turn them into, you know, just plant constituents, then we, we really lose... The essence and the spirit and the nourishment and I think the best aspects of herbalism. So the more that we can promote herbalism and especially I think the wise woman tradition of seeing herbalism and working with the body and working with health, the better off we'll be. But it takes a lot of talking about it and education. It takes a whole paradigm shift. And so just as understanding Goldenrod's effect on the body and how it actually can help be a remedy for seasonal allergies and not a cause for seasonal allergies, I think we can also start to look at herbs as not as poisonous drugs, but as nourishing food. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you. And if you appreciate me and this podcast, I would be grateful if you would rate and review it. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, check out my website. Uh, you can sign up for my newsletter, which I have not really been writing at all lately, but hopefully once the gardening season slows down, I will get back into sending out some informational and inspirational newsletters. You can find me at any of those places with the tag Soledago Herb School. The Healthy Herb Podcast also has an Instagram page, I'll see you there. Feel free to connect with me there. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and most importantly, have fun with herbs.